What's going on everyone? My name is Hayden McNamee and I am back with uh, another episode of 20 Minutes or Less. Today I am joined with uh, Greg Hemmings. I am very excited to be talking with you today, Greg. Hayden, me too, buddy. And when I asked you how long the uh, episode was going to be, I should have just used my brain and realized it's going to be 20 minutes or less. <laughs> <laughs> well, my uh, my girlfriend's father asked me how long an episode usually takes, and I looked at him and I went, 20 minutes or less, man. <laughs> well, do you know what, Matt? It is so good because it's right in the title. Like, it, it's perfect. And most people, like, like if you listen to like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan podcasts, you can go two to three hours on those. And <clears throat> even though they're so interesting, I just never have a time period oh, yeah. long enough. You know, but if you're driving to work or going for a quick jog or something, you can get through a 20 minute interview. No problem. No, so no good problem. on you. Hayden. Thank, thank you very much. So, <laughs> uh, Greg, do you want to explain a little bit of uh, who you are and the, the local legend of New Brunswick that you are? <laughs> the local legend. Well, my uh, my friend Tibby uh, always made fun of me calling me uh, famous in St. John. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. So, uh, yeah, so I've, uh, I've been, uh, you know, I've identified as a filmmaker for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I say that for a reason. I'll explain that later. Um, but I uh, am also an entrepreneur. And mm -hmm. uh, the entrepreneur is somebody who sees building a business as a creative process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I make films. My team makes films. We do a lot of commercial corporate films. We do documentaries about things that I'm that I care about and that our team cares about that make positive impact in the world, and we make TV shows mm -hmm. as well. And we're doing it right here, right here in St. John, New Brunswick. Right and, here uh, in St. John, travel, traveling the world, doing it uh, up until COVID. Yeah, <laughs> uh, as, as I've explained to uh, some of my friends and stuff, and I know a lot of those friends are listening right now. Uh, I was one of your co-op students just before COVID hit. And uh, even to the That's guys, right. even to the guys at Best Buy, when they asked me what my favorite job was, I said Best Buy is my second favorite because nothing be be working for Hemming says. I, oh, I it, it was awesome having you there, and uh, it was just so cool to uh, not to, not know too much about you, and then uh, us just figuring out our, our uh, similar interests in music and yeah. different things. And uh, as as I was handing you editing projects, and, and your mind being blown with the type of uh, uh, weird projects I was getting you to uh, yeah. to do edits on, and uh, yeah, it was just super cool to have you kicking around uh, during those days. Yeah, uh, so I worked with you on a on another podcast uh, called the DMT Podcast, and that had uh, Dennis McKenna and who I forget the two other guys. I always forget them. I know one of them was like a now. Never mind. I have the other one mixed up. The one. Yeah, with that's right. The it's the, the the founder of um, Lucid News, and you'll have to check out lucidnews.com. Uh, mm -hmm. They're a really really cool publication. It's really focused on the uh, on the evolution of uh, the psychedelic movement um, as a legitimized movement. Uh, you know, certainly in the in the space of um, you know psychotherapy and really uh, helping people heal through PTSD and whatnot. Um, but lucid news is really the go-to source now for a lot of that, you know, journalist driven media uh, yeah. around that topic. When, uh, when I started working on the DMT podcast with you guys, I, um, uh, 
uh, I didn't really know a lot about uh, the the use of psychedelics on the brain and being able to uh, help people with PTSD and cope through other trauma and stuff and stuff like that. But uh, after after reading it and then I started to do research myself and I watched videos with Terrence McKenna instead, who has sadly passed uh, a while ago, but. Uh, and then his brother as well. And seeing how they talked, they didn't talk about psychedelics as if they were like a hippie and telling the and telling people <laughs> that they're great, right? They're great. They were speaking about it from an actual scientific perspective. And I think having people like that uh, telling you the the benefits uh, of psychedelics and stuff like that is just something that a lot of people need. You know, like uh, a lot of uh, they, because they were talking about safety and stuff like that, right? And I remember Dennis talking about safety, and I, I remember watching this one interview with him talking about like he has been really scared on them before, but uh, seeing that, uh, I think was uh, it opens up it opens up your eyes because uh, uh, in the psychedelic world they think of they think of Dennis and Terrence as psychedelic gods, right? And you know that for sure, but they're also just human, which is something that yeah, they explain a lot. It's just it is kind of neat when you, and as a filmmaker, I've been able to kind of step through the curtains of celebrity a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is you might look up to someone like as if they're, they're bigger than human, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're a celebrity, maybe they're in a band or they're a movie star or something. Yeah. But then when you get to know them on a personal level um, uh, and you share a common you know, interests or hobby or something. You just realize that they're just another person like you. Exactly. You know, and um, I've developed a, a friendship with Dennis McKenna and we, we touch base uh, every, every, you know, three, four weeks. And there's a project that we're developing together. And uh, it's really cool because I got to know Dennis, of course, like I got to know Dennis way before I even really dove deeply into Terrence McKenna. Yeah. Um, and Terrence's book, True Hallucinations is an incredible Incredible read that you must uh, take a listen to. Yeah. Uh, if you if you listen to books, uh, I listen to them when I go for jogs or walks and things like that. And yeah. uh, um, it, you're totally right. Like these guys are explorers uh, in the scientific approach. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, they were not exploring psychedelics as a as a party enhancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that's uh, a big eye roll for for people like Dennis when we talk about you know, uh, the trends of, 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 of psychedelics and yeah. all that sort of thing. But they were, they really wanted to explore where, where this could take their own human evolution, you know, and, uh, and expand their outlook on life and connect with nature and connect with, <clears throat> with the mystical. No, um, yeah. And, uh, and th- these things were very interesting to them back in the, uh, early seventies when they're down exploring all through, uh, the Amazon and, and, and really trying to find those, those, those healing medicinal plants that, um, you know, that were pretty much only known to shamans in, uh, in, in, you know, different South American communities. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, of course, a number of scientific explorations before them, but these are the guys who really went down and, uh, really tried to open up the world of ayahuasca to, you know, contemporary North American, uh, you know, seeker culture, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. anyway, it, it's, it's, it's been really cool, uh, approaching it that way. Cause I, I've told this to you too, uh, before Hayden, that, um, I'm not interested in, you know, the promotion of psychedelics or any drugs at all. Um, 
that are for recreational purpose, I am completely uh, okay with that, those decisions for people. Like, uh, that's totally fine. But for my particular path, I see an untapped resource for, for making the world a better place and, uh, you know, helping, helping people find healing in, in uh, areas that have been typically unaccessible because of legal reasons, you yeah. know, um, um, uh, ayahuasca, for example, you can legally take it uh, if it's administered by a specific uh, ordained church that is uh, legally allowed to give it to you, but you and I can't go find it and yeah. legally have it. Or psilocybin, the same thing. Um, um, this is illegal substances that grow out of the ground. And, um, you know, during the Reagan years, the, the war on drugs really uh, it, it classified these as extremely dangerous uh, substances and would land you in jail, you know, yeah. um, if you get even caught with simple possession. It's really interesting, too, to see what, what British Columbia, or actually what Vancouver just uh, just voted on. Um, simple possession of any drug uh, in Vancouver is now decriminalized. Really? And how amazing is that? So let, let's say you've got addiction issues and you're on East Hastings and you're just in a cycle of, um, you know, of despair, if you will, and you get caught with, you know, a, a personal amount of heroin, for example, or crystal meth, or all these things are just really bad for yeah. for people's for consumption. But these people would be arrested and thrown into jail um, for simple possession of even marijuana, for example, right mm -hmm. before that was decriminalized. So what's happening is there's a, a movement, a shift of saying instead of wasting all these resources on arresting these these people who actually have legitimate mental health challenges why don't we divert that money uh you know when they say defund the police it's not yeah. about taking the budgets away from the police it's about instead of putting this amount of money into arresting these people or yeah. the fact that they actually have a disease let's put money into helping these people through mental health uh uh you know supports yeah. and this is where psychedelics come in really interesting um where there's clinics uh, that are popping up uh, throughout North America in certain areas that uh, that are sanctioned, uh, where you have real medical doctors and psychotherapists who are um, helping people, you know, get through really heavy things like heavy addictions, just by going through uh, four or five or six psychedelic guided sessions. Yeah, you know, it's like this is powerful stuff, and it's been kept away from our society for decades. And now we're starting to see it open up, you know, uh, you know, there's some research money now going into exploring, uh, you know, these molecules uh, in a deep way, the way they were exploring them in the 1950s and 60s. We're starting to see it again now. Yeah. Um, and I think under the right uh, set and the right setting <laughs> and the right intention uh, and not to be abused, this could be revolutionary for our, our culture if, if uh, the average you and me had legal access to this, uh, you know, certain molecules, if you will, yeah. you know, especially yeah. the ones that grow to the ground, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it, it is, it, it, it is one of the coolest things that, because um, I forget, I forget what country it was. I think it's Sweden or Denmark, but they have been doing that, uh, those, certain sanctioned places with the use of psychedelics they've been doing it for a couple of years now and they have the numbers showing that it is helping out a lot of people so having it over in north america we're going to start see those we're going to 
start to see those numbers in uh, areas that we know, right? In uh, big, uh, big country, not big country, sorry, like big cities like Toronto, uh, Ottawa, mm -hmm. Vancouver, places like that, right? We're going to start seeing numbers and possible even... Um, uh, the crime rates going down because that is that's something that happened in Sweden as well. Their crime rates dropped uh, after opening up a lot of these clinics and stuff. Not saying that psychedelics are like a a, a the god drug, right? Not saying that like they're they're the the cure all, but uh, used in the right way and in the in the right setting, like what you said, they can help you a lot. Yeah, and it's very important to think about, um, like, if you're going to explore this for purposes of, you know, self-discovery, um, uh, perhaps some uh, psychological healing, etc., it's important to be guided, to mm -hmm. have somebody that knows what they're doing with you. Uh, and that's why we are actually seeing, you know, uh, you know, treatment centers being popped up. A lot of them are in the gray zone, like they're they're not necessarily legal, yeah. but you have trained people to help guide people through this. Mm -hmm. A great film. I'm, I don't know if you've seen this, but um, um, it was shot in Israel. And jeez, oh, what was it called? Give me a second. I'll also get back to you on it, but you yeah. should take a look. It's on YouTube. Uh, like I say, it's Israeli, and um, it was all about using MDMA for PTSD in uh, five different patients. Mm -hmm. And it's really a stunning story. Um, it's called uh, Trips of Compassion. Trips of Compassion. Yeah, so check that film out, and um, that will show you what a clinical setting looks like. Mm -hmm. And the power of being able to have one of these experiences without having to worry about your surroundings mm -hmm. Like if you know you're safe, you know that everything around you is good and it's just a matter of going in deep, mm -hmm. you know, same thing when people meditate deeply or, or go into deep prayer or, or dream states, you know, yeah. it's like, it's important to be in a safe environment. Yeah. Otherwise you're not going to be able to go very deep, you know, exactly. but anyway, check that film out. Uh, it was really cool. Just to kind of see what, what, uh, you know, the evolving science around uh, MDMA is, mm -hmm. which, you know, a lot of people in our culture know as a party drug, yeah. you know, ecstasy. Um, but uh, when administered uh, intentionally in the, in the right sentence setting and for the right purposes and for the right type of person um, uh, and headset, then it's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat to see the, see the science. That being said, there's still great dangers in all of this. Oh, yes. Um, especially, like, um, people who are battling with some severe anxieties and uh, – depression or, or anything else it's it's not advisable to explore this uh without the help of uh, professionals you know it's uh that's why i'm always very careful as i talk about these things it's uh for me i'm really excited for the science world the medical world and the psychotherapy world to to be able to freely uh help patients with this yeah um rather than really, like I said, push and promote the concept of going out and just trying it mm -hmm. but because it's illegal in most areas where else, Hayden, are you going to try it? You know, like there's no legal places for you to. Exactly. And if you want to go deeper, you're forced to break the law. And that's not cool. Exactly. You know? yeah. um, and that's where the whole Vancouver thing is just so awesome. And, you know, uh, other places in the world have done that, decriminalized drugs, including Amsterdam, of course. Yeah. And uh, like you say, the crime rate just, it just it gets cut down so heavily because people aren't 
you know, and, and they're putting money towards helping these people in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, instead of chasing them down all the time. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I could, I could go on forever about that. But. Yeah. So <laughs> something that uh, I, I just want to move away from the psychedelic uh, conversation is uh, your filmmaking career. So how long have you actually been behind a camera for? Yeah. Well, so I was in grade 11, I believe, at St. John High, and I played in a band called Play-Doh Fish. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I was the drummer. And uh, media studies class was either grade 11 or grade 12. I think it was grade 11, Mm -hmm. Mr. Badger. And uh, we had a bank of VCRs Mm -hmm. and a little TV studio and a really early days uh, digital effects editor um, called Video Toaster which is old, old school. Yeah. Like the, you know, those old cheesy fonts that you could bring up and all yeah. this. And uh, so I made uh, a music video for my band. Yeah. And you, you can see it. If you go to my Facebook and go to videos and yeah. go to at the very beginning of like the first week that I joined Facebook, like just scroll all the way to the bottom of the videos. Yeah. You, you will see the Play-Doh Fish videos. And uh, <laughs> that was my first time really editing. Actually, you'll appreciate this. I'm, I'm kind of lying. My first taste of, of video editing was in grade 10 mm-hmm. in history class we were learning about uh pompeii mm-hmm. and ancient greece and you know that, that whole thing that you do for history yeah and we had a, a project that we're, a project to complete that we're open to do anything we want and i was i came home and i had a beta uh you know like a, a beta tape player yeah uh, and i had another v, a vcr like a vhs and beta and then somehow i must have had a third deck as well and I made a music video with Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii um, <laughs> playing. And, but I, I, I did, and I remember dragging, like, it was just because back then editing was like, you press play and record at the same time on two different machines. Yeah. And then you press pause really quick. And then the next one, and, and to do it and keep everything in sync was like, you had to do it a million times to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that was my first time editing anything. Then I did that music video. I was like, this is really cool because as a drummer, I felt editing was came really naturally, like the the, the pace and uh, you know the feel. Yeah. And um, so I ended up going to film school just because it sounded like a cool thing to do. And then I uh, I ended up finding my passion there. And then right out of film school, I started working on feature films. Uh, and um, and then also I started uh, filming a whole bunch of music festivals. Yeah, you know, I, I I filmed the the very first Bonnaroo ever. Yeah, in Tennessee, I filmed. Like all the eight, uh, you know, Harvest Jazz and Blues, ECMAs, Evolve Festivals, uh, like all, all the Atlantic festivals for years uh, we filmed. And I probably filmed 2,000 hours of live music in the first few years of, uh, of our business. And um, yeah, so it's been a long time. So I started having shows in 2006. Mm-hmm. But in 2002, I had uh, another film production company that I had with two friends. So really, I've been an entrepreneur in this space since 2002. Yeah. Uh, working in the business since 99 when I graduated film school and uh, probably 1993 is when I edited my first Pink Floyd video. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy to think of it because you said that you've that you've uh, been in like uh, the company. Well, uh, what was it? 1996? Is that what yeah, you said? Na- well, um, I graduated high school in 95. So 90. I started going to film school in 96. 96. And then uh, you- but two, oh, sorry, 2006 is when I incorporated Hemings House. Right. And then yeah. in 2002, you're in another film company uh, that you started yeah. with two friends. And that's crazy because you've been in, like, the companies and stuff 
since the year I was born. I was born and in I, And I remember you as a baby, so what's that feel like? <laughs> I, that's crazy. Yeah, you because you were at my parents' wedding. That's right. Yeah. And I think somebody, somebody forgot you in the church pews or something, if yes, I recall. <laughs> yes, they did. I will tell that story really quickly. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so during the actual ceremony, um, after it had ended, um, everyone was leaving and stuff and someone was supposed to take care of me because my, my parents were doing something and someone getting, had, getting married. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they were getting married. And so they were going somewhere else after. And my parents were told not to worry about me. I was in good hands, but I wasn't in anyone's hands because no one grabbed me and took me. There was one person that stayed with me. And I forget, I forget who it was, but there was one person that stayed with me. But other than that, everyone left. They forgot their kid. Isn't that church. something? So, uh, so Hayden, I've known you since that very day. That's yeah. the first time I would have met you. So there you go. There we go. <laughs> and then it's crazy because then it comes all the way because when I was in grade eight, I was really into music and I, I, I didn't want to be in a band, and then grade, in grade 10, I joined what was called Bazareth, which is now Redfish from Mars, and then I got really into film in grade 11, and uh, film and photography, I started photography in grade 10, and I started following you and your um, brother, Mark. And after that, uh, I I was talking to my mom. I was like, Mom, do you know who Greg Hemmings is? And like, I was telling her about you. And I had no idea <laughs> that, that that she knew you at all. And she's like, oh, yeah, Greg Hemmings. He was at our wedding and stuff. I was like, what? So this guy, <laughs> this guy that I'm like watching all of his stuff to. And I think he's super cool. He's just like like a family friend and you can get me into contact with him. So then you probably actually remember I came to your it was a Hemings House Christmas party or something. It yeah, something yeah, we like we had, we were we got everybody together and uh, we were talking about uh, making uh, the impact that our company made in the year. And we were also talking about climate change. Uh, yes, yeah. that's what it was, wasn't it? Yes, uh, yeah. uh, yes, the inconvenient truth um, presentation. Yeah, and you popped in for a little bit for that. I did. Yeah, the reason that I couldn't stay for the whole thing is I was I was going to, but I had actually cut school to go there. <laughs> I, I decided that I was like, yeah, I'm going to Hemings House instead of going to second and third period. <laughs> but I don't nice, regret it. Nice decision. Yeah, nice decision. <laughs> I don't regret it at all. And then uh, and then so we had another meeting and we talked about uh, becoming your co-op student. And it just so happened I did become your co-op student. And uh, we started working on a bunch of things together. I do remember multiple times that uh, I, there was just days that I straight up didn't go to school <laughs> and, yep. and help yeah, you. We're like, it. we're like, you're going to learn more, but just by staying here for the whole day. Why don't you just stay here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, th and that's what I did. And I loved it because I remember like getting there at like, what, like eight in the morning, maybe. And like uh, just having like the door unlocked for me with. The guy, I can't remember his name. It wasn't Lachlan, it was... Tim? Yeah, Tim. Tim. It was Tim. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just going in, and we're sitting there, and I remember we started talking, and we got really into John Coltrane, some, just some jazz and stuff, so we just kept playing yeah. jazz. He's a big jazz guy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, actually, the day before COVID shut down everything, it was a Friday, and I did not go to school that day, because I was upstairs in your, I was at the very top 
uh, of the of the building that Hemmings House is in. At the very top, it was me and Mark Hemmings are up there for a bit, and it was a it was gloomy and it was snowing, and uh, <laughs> uh, I was just sitting there. I was doing the final edit. I remember of the DMT podcast. That's what I was working on was the final edit. And I remember just playing jazz and then Mark left and I was just sitting in this big office by myself with this Mac computer just looking out into St. John as it's snowing and gloomy and we're hearing about COVID. What an amazing memory. And then, and then we we told you to take the computer home. We're like, take the computer home and do, do some editing while, over this crazy time. Yeah, and I did. <laughs> I, and I uh, Just before that, just before COVID, you probably remember that you let me borrow. I, I still don't understand how you let me borrow this, but how how expensive was this camera? It was at least two thousand. Oh, probably it's probably five or six thousand. Five or six thousand dollars. You let me borrow it for a week. So I, I trusted could, you, man. Yeah, I trusted and, you. And I got it back to you. I got it back to you. <laughs> and I recorded Redfish from Mars's music video, The Halcyon Years, which if you look it up, uh, Hemming's House, uh, the actual building and stuff, it actually. Uh, there's multiple times that it appears in the video. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> awesome. I wonder if I've seen that one yet. I don't, I don't know if I did or not. But I, I saw your your raw footage on the camera because it was still on there. So uh, I probably saw the, I saw the raw stuff for the video. So yeah. I got to see the final. Yeah, if you just look at <laughs> Redfish from Mars, it's on there. Well, awesome, Greg. We have actually gone past twenty minutes. Oh, we, yep. we better wrap it up. We, we better wrap it up. <laughs> but uh, I just want to thank you very much for coming on. Uh, this it. This is just amazing to me. I love having people on that have that have inspired me to do multiple things. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for doing this. And keep doing that, man. The more you do it, the more uh, impact you're going to make. So this is good stuff. Thank you very much. All right, Greg. And that, this is where I say at the end of every episode, that's that. <laughs>